0: Oh, turn it up! Speaking of, did you get your Icon Pass yet, Sean? I'm on IconPass.com dropping in right now. Wow, from just 259 dollars adult? Okay, done. Our theme in worship over the next few Sundays is between. We are situated between the seasons of Christmas and Lent. But we also find ourselves between the inauguration of the kingdom of God. In this morning's gospel reading, Jesus announced, now is the time. We are situated between the inauguration of the kingdom of God and its fulfillment. God's kingdom has indeed broken into our world in the birth, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In both of our readings this morning, both Jonah and Jesus announcing that the time had come, they both used the same words. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Now that sounds like something a slick-haired televangelist or kooky street preacher would shout. Ask a friend sometime what they think of when they hear repent and believe. And I bet... Which, for any bishop or district superintendent that might be here this morning, I would never do. I bet you will hear televangelist or street preacher and not Jonah or Jesus when you ask the question. Repentance is a word that we are unfamiliar with, repentance is language that we reserve for the preacher holding the tattered and torn King James Version of the Bible in one hand, shaking it eagerly as he addresses his audience, while in the other, holding onto a handkerchief to wipe the sweat from his brow or the spit from his lip. It's one of those Bible words that we wish that we could ignore. We're okay with, we will tolerate words like confess or forgive, We may not be great at letting go of a grudge and forgiving someone, but we are willing to at least consider. We are willing to consider doing that act of forgiveness because we know that that 10 plus year grudge is no more good for us than it is the person on the other side of the wrong. The word repent though, that's foreign language. What is it that separates confession From repentance. What is it about repentance that makes us so uncomfortable? Repentance requires a response. Repentance requires movement, and without movement, repentance is just confession. The first part of repentance is to recognize the wrong, but then there has to be, there must be a reorientation. Think about our worship service this morning. Later in the service, we will confess our sins before God and one another. We will ask for and receive forgiveness. But our, in our liturgy, there is no reorientation that occurs. There might be an aha moment, but reorientation of one's life takes time. In Greek, repentance is metanoia meaning to change one's mind or develop a new way of thinking. It's no wonder, then, why repentance is a word that we do not often use. A few years ago, I took the Gallup Strength Finder test, and I discovered that one of my top strengths is self-assurance. Now, some of you are going to snicker because you call self-assurance arrogance. Arrogance and not a strength. But self-assurance allows you to be decisive, which, believe it or not, is a good thing from time to time, like when you're trying to figure out where to order takeout from after church. Because of my self-assurance, changing someone's mind, changing my own mind, developing a new way of thinking, in my mind, the way I think of it is weakness. That's the exact opposite of what you all have conditioned me and countless other millennials to do. After all, from the time that we wrap up high school or college, we are told that at the very least, we need to have the trajectory of our lives mapped out. We may not know the exact destination, but we had better know the zip code we are headed to. And yes, to keep this metaphor going, There might be a few road closures or detours along the way, but the destination is known. And because the destination is known, when the street corner preacher tells us to repent, we can easily brush him off because we know where we're going. We have said yes to the destination, even if we mapped it out 10, 20, or 30 years ago. In November, I shared a little of my call story with you. When I graduated from college, from West Virginia Wesleyan College, I knew that I would do one of three things. I would work for the federal government, I would be a contractor for the federal government, and right now, I'd have tomorrow off, or I would be in the military. It is no surprise then that some in my family Would say that I have come kicking and screaming into ministry. It's not that I didn't want to be a preacher. Rather, it's that I had already figured it out. I knew what I was going to do, and there was no need to change the trajectory of my life. I did not need to change my mind. After all, being self-assured, if I was to change my mind, to change the trajectory of my life, I would be showing weakness. And that's not something self-assured people do being called to repent or face being overthrown by God. The people of Nineveh believed God. They repented. They changed their ways. Even before the king of Nineveh got word of what was going on on the streets and had the opportunity to make his kingly proclamation, a fast had been declared by the people and they had even put on sackcloth. Sackcloth It was a fabric that was made of goat's hair. It was coarsely woven and worn during periods of mourning or repentance, during times of personal or national crisis. The people of Nineveh believed God and responded, even before they could do so, even before they could do so after being directed by their leader. The people of Nineveh, including their king, would have been justified in laughing off the street preaching Jonah as he moved through the city over three days. We would understand Jonah being laughed from one end of Nineveh to the next. Because after all, Jonah didn't exactly have the best track record when it came to reorientation and repentance. Jonah did not exactly submit before God when called. Regardless if you read the story of Jonah literally, or you see it as a fable of biblical proportions, it's easy to see that Jonah messed up. When Jonah was first called by God to go to Nineveh, he instead boarded a ship headed for Tarshish, located in modern-day Spain, literally the edge of the world for the time, running from God and his calling by going to the ends of the earth. Jonah thought that he could hide. He thought that he could avoid metanoia. It was not until Jonah had been thrown overboard and swallowed by a large fish that he repented and went to Nineveh. The story would be a hard sell for the people on the streets, and yet they heard God's word in Jonah's voice and believed God. But what happens when God incarnate when Jesus is the one calling us to repent and believe. It's easy to blow off the street preacher as we walk out of Starbucks, or to flip the channel when the slick-haired televangelist begins preaching. It's very easy to avoid making eye contact with someone on Glebe Road, and it's very easy to turn off the TV and go into the other room to play with our kids. It's easy to write off the story of Jonah. But what do we do? when God is the one calling us to repent and believe. As in many cases, Jesus is calling those not likely to be called. Instead of going to the temple in Jerusalem and waiting for a student to call upon him to be taught the scriptures, Jesus heads to the docks and calls on two sets of brothers, four fishermen. If you've ever been to a dock, or a place where fish are being or have been processed, you know this might not be the first place you would go to seek out holy men. After all, cussing like a sailor is not an empty phrase. And yet, Simon and Andrew and then James and John responded. Like the people of Nineveh, they changed the trajectory of their lives immediately, and they followed God. In both of these instances, the focus was taken away from the prophetic voice and placed on God and God's call to action. In the case of Nineveh, the time had come to acknowledge Yahweh as God. And in the case of Jesus, the time had come when God would restore all of creation. It was not enough to just say sorry for fill-in-the-blank sin. The people of Nineveh and the fishermen, believing God, followed. And began a new life. The people of Nineveh turned away from their evil ways, from the violence that was in their hands, and the fishermen began a new rhythm of life. Both groups found a new identity. Now, the televangelist, the street preacher, and even the prophet can become angry and discouraged when the people of God believe God and not the voice that they hear. In following God, in believing, action is taken, or attention rather, is taken off of the prophetic voice and placed on the one who called four men by the sea. But the joke is on us, the ones who become angry and discouraged, because the attention, the attention was never really on us. As self-assured as we are, that we think we are proclaiming the word of God, or guiding people to God, it's never really our work. Rather, it's the work of the Holy Spirit sent by God to be used through us or to be used in spite of us. In our call to others to repent and believe, we too must repent and believe, changing the trajectory of our lives, removing ourselves from the seat of judgment that we prefer to sit on and hand over control, Hand over power to the one who calls all of us. What the televangelist and the street preacher get wrong is that metanoia is not our work at all. It's God's work. Repentance is not something that we can do apart from God. Metanoia is not work we perform or a decision that we make. Instead, it is a gift from God. It is a gift that sees us through the space between Christ's birth and his death, between Christ's resurrection and the second coming. As with the people of Nineveh and the people by the sea, so with us, it is being encountered by God, in God's word through Jonah, in Christ himself in Mark's gospel, and for us today through the word and sacrament. That works repentance. Like the parable of the lost sheep, the sheep doesn't get itself found. And like the prodigal son, he was fine coming home and being treated like a slave. The prodigal son did not repent until his father embraced him and kicked on the party music. The repentance offered by the televangelist, the street preacher, and even preachers in the pulpit is ultimately bad news because it throws the work back onto us and our ability to repent, and that's what leads to judgment. Repentance becomes work's righteousness. If my repentance is something that I can accomplish because my strength finder test tells me so, then I'm liable to be judgmental about others who could not or chose not to. The good news is that none of us can repent on our own. We are all lost sheep in the process of being found. And that God repents us is proof that forgiveness is prior to our repentance. Thanks be to God. Amen.